Wellness Sessions, a podcast presented by Matt Black and the Shapeshift Report. Uh, If this is your first time on the podcast, Matt Black is a culture marketing agency based out in Culver City. And the Shapeshift Report is our monthly trend and insight publication uh, that you can download at shapeshiftreport.co. We're here today, awesome guest, Sean Goldfathom, the founder of Coefficient Labs. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. All right, so we're going to dig into what Coefficient Labs is in just a minute. But first, we start with the quickfire intro questions so you can get to know Sean. These are good ones. Okay, Sean, what right now are you streaming on Netflix? Right now I'm streaming Bloodline. Woo, dude. Bloodline is the show. Absolutely. How deep, how deep into season two are you? Uh, we are one episode away from the finale. From the end? Oh, I just started, so don't talk about what's happening. But this show is amazing, right? Absolutely. And I think that you know what Netflix has done with streaming... Uh, has really changed the way that we consume these sorts of uh, shows because of the fact, just like you had mentioned, you're like, oh, don't tell me what happened. And so it creates this sort of like FOMO or fear of missing out if you don't watch it uh, very compact and tight. And so I think that that's one thing that Netflix has done uh, that has kind of changed the way that people like you and I actually watch shows. Yeah, which is interesting because then it's like the only time we can talk about it is at the end of the season versus right now, it's like we're both up on Game of Thrones. I assume that you watch Game of Thrones. Um, sorry to make that assumption. But, like, yeah, right, we're all in the same episode of Game of Thrones versus Netflix. It's like once you're done with House of Cards, once you're done with Bloodline, you can talk about it. But, yeah, and yeah. I think there's, like, pros and cons of, of each of them. But I think that touching on this concept of, like, everyone loves a good cliffhanger and what Netflix realized was people would actually be willing to keep going down the rabbit hole. And yeah. so... Um, you know, to enable people to have that choice, it not only uh, gives the user maybe what they want, but it also kind of has this side marketing ploy where, um, again, people want it to be top of mind. And it's very like, if I don't get through the season, then someone's going to blow the end for me. Yeah. And uh, if you know what the end is, then I don't want to watch it. And yeah. so it's uh, really an interesting tactic. Yeah. Okay. Apologies, audience, for getting caught up on Bloodline. Two more rapid fire questions. Do you ever get a doppelganger that people always tell you you look like? Not often, but people have told me that I look like Mark Sanchez. Okay. That's not a bad one. Quarterback for the... He was the Jets. What team is he on now? I think he's so bad. I don't even know if he's on. Yeah, I don't know. He was USC quarterback, though. It'd be maybe when he used to play well. I reckon I'm more handsome than him, but uh, absolutely (laughs) Um, okay, and lastly, favorite throwback song? Definitely would have to be Shout from the Isley Brothers. Um, and or is it the Isley or the Isley Brothers? I always thought it was the Isley Brothers. I think it's the Isley Brothers, but yeah. uh, I don't know. It just makes me think of weddings or like parties and just like everyone like getting all yeah, like, like amped up good. together. Yeah. It's always good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, so the reason that you're on the podcast, you wrote an awesome article for this most recent issue of the Shapeshift Report, the technology issue. And um, before we dive into that, uh, we got you to write it because you were the founder of this amazing company, Coefficient Labs. Could you tell us just a little bit about the company you started and why you started it, and then we'll dig into what you wrote about? Sure. So Coefficient Labs is a growth advertising agency for Series A and later stage startups. And um, just to give you a little bit of background, um, I've always been very entrepreneurial since a young age. Uh, When I was in the third grade, I used to buy Pokemon cards, laminate them into a folder, and then resell them at like a premium price and give people bundles. Um, 
my career moved quickly into selling knives door to door in high school. So I was one of those kids. You that, were, were you a Cutco knife salesman? I was a top tier Cutco knife salesman. Okay. And uh, I just think I've always had that kind of hustler mentality about, okay, uh, I can go out and I can actually make things happen. I can make my own money. And so I've always been motivated by selling and uh, business and commerce. But uh, I don't think it was until I was a freshman uh, when I started working at ABC television in their sales department. And one of my uh, managers came to me and he was like, Sean, you do not need to focus on TV ad sales or radio ad. You need to focus on the internet. And so when I was 19, it was the first time I'd ever really thought about just like where the internet is going and how business will uh kind of intersect with it. And so when I went back to school, I was uh, went to the University of Miami. I was hell-bent sophomore year on figuring out what I was going to do and how I would start a business and, and use the internet and social media to drive it. And that idea came uh, when I was a sophomore. I uh, entered an idea into a business competition at school, which was a Nike ID for sunglasses. So I wanted people to be able to create uh, their own sunglasses and it started with just using the simple wayfarer style that mm -hmm. like people buy on the third street promenade or new york city or anywhere cheap uh sunglasses but i wanted to sell it in a way where people could build them uh, yeah. from scratch and so uh i started playfair at school we were in a few bookstores uh, several thousand units um, i basically just went fraternity to sorority door to door with an order sheet and said hey you can build any type of sunglasses you want just tell me your name and you know i'll collect the money from you and so playfair started with uh, a twenty-five thousand dollars seed fund from the university of miami um but it also was the first time i'd ever really taken control of social media and mm -hmm. using the internet to drive you know traffic to that and so uh, after school was over, um, I knew that I had that sort of entrepreneurial hustler mentality, but I never had any formal training or any real jobs other than ABC that could teach me how to have a startup. And so I knew I wanted to get involved with a startup when I got out of school. And so um, the first company that I joined after college was a startup called Instacanvas, which now uh, they've recently changed their name to 2020. But Instacanvas was a pivotal moment for me because it was the first time I had ever seen a truly talented team working together. Mm. Um, I was number six on the team and uh, watching you know, how they not only strategized their marketing efforts, but just how they worked together and the culture they were building. Um, I knew that I had eventually to get back into the entrepreneurial realm and I wanted to really start my own team. Yeah. Um, and how long were you there for? So I was at Instacanvas for almost a year. Okay. Um, and from there, this was around 2012. And what was happening in the marketing world in 2012 was it was the very beginning of the transition from social media being like the hot topic to paid acquisition or growth hacking. And so the difference between the two really came about when Facebook stopped allowing companies and brands to spread their messages on their page for free. They yeah. made, they only showed, I think it went from a high percentage of your followers to like 1% or less than 1% of your followers would see any of your social media posts. And so this concept of paying uh, for users or actually creating advertisements um, that people would click on and take them to a website, 
that was becoming like the next big area of opportunity. And so General Assembly, um, which is an academic course uh, in Santa Monica, put on a great uh, kind of like a university class program. It was a 10-week intensive. Yeah. And that course was all about paid acquisition and growth hacking. And it landed me my first you know, real big job at Creative Circle. And so uh, Creative Circle much bigger than Instacanvas, 500-person company, but there were uh, a few major problems that I saw at Creative Circle working with this bigger company um, as we were working with advertising agencies, and that was really the precipice of where I started Coefficient Labs, was you know being a part of a bigger growth team and actually watching how they handled their agency accounts mm -hmm. um, helped me realize that there was some fundamental problems with how older agencies work. Yeah, definitely. And so we'll segue from that just a little bit specifically into what you were talking about in the article, which was the idea that there's kind of this um, impending war between Snapchat and Facebook advertising. So could you just give us like the elevator pitch on, on you know, how you came to that and, and what you think is happening next between those two companies? Totally. So number one, first and foremost, I've watched as companies have become less resistant to Facebook. And so when I first started, the concept of advertising on Facebook made no sense to many uh, many companies. They were like, we have to do traditional banner ads or we need to do Google AdWords. And Facebook is something that my daughter and my son are on, so why would I want to advertise? And so watching the transition and actually being on the front lines as companies are investing millions of dollars into Facebook, I really watched as the platform itself became better, not just in um, how you can advertise and what their units are, but also just in the click-through rates and how, how expensive it was. It was It's a much more efficient platform. And so knowing that Facebook is getting better and better makes me realize that, you know, this is like the new Google, right? They are uh, revolutionizing the display advertising space because of how much data they've collected on their users. Yeah. And so uh, what Facebook has done is they've made it incredibly simple to target people. And while that is the core, the most important thing for an advertiser is saying, you know, this is our message and we want to reach the right person. Snapchat has taken a completely different approach to this problem of connecting with your right customer uh, using these geo filters. And so yeah. it's more the concept of they have an ad unit that is completely different than Facebook while also having the attention of the young millennials and the younger generation. So I think that um, it's more of like I feel like I see it coming a couple of years out as opposed to it being right now today. Yeah. So it seems like the the point of entry is so low for Snapchat though. I mean I, you talk about this in our article. It's five, what is $5 for 20,000 square feet of a geo-fenced area right. where people can use your custom filter. Have you been able to see real – return from that type of investment to this point? What are the analytics that Snapchat's giving you? Like, how can a brand make that decision to use it? So right now, it's in its most bare bones basic state. You get two metrics to look at based on you buying a Snapchat geo filter. The first is how many people used your actual filter during the time period. And the second is how many followers or how many people viewed your actual filter. So if a hundred people used it, how many people of their friends actually saw it? Yeah, so, so you're getting like impressions. Impressions, yeah. So 
right now today, I don't think that Snapchat is the best tool for advertisers for all of them, right? Like I, I think that Facebook, no matter what business or what industry you're in, you can go on Facebook and you can advertise effectively. But snap and, and that's whether you're 65 years old, whether you're a plumber, whether you're any industry, Facebook has communities and data on people that, you know, are your right customer. Snapchat, on the other hand, is going to be more uh, mainstream when it becomes more transactional. And so right now there are, you know, there are some industries that uh, I think are perfect for Snapchat. For example, if I was running a event, if I was TED, if I was Social Media Week, if I was any major event in Los Angeles or anywhere around the nation, I would buy a Snapchat geofilter because yes. the way they work is you're hosting an event, you're bringing hundreds or sometimes thousands of people that you're encouraging to use your, uh, your hashtag and you're encouraging them to take pictures at your event. And so if you know that people are going to be congregating and they're going to be sharing their experience, that's a perfect opportunity to do a Snapchat geo filter. Yeah. Um, I think that there is an opportunity for a hotel and live entertainment, right? Like if you know that you have a big musician coming and we're already seeing it now, these are like early use cases, but um, even more than that, I think that people that are anyone that's hosting an event or that's congregating people that are going to be social, there's ways that you could use uh, the geo filter. And then there's even micro cases. Like let's pretend you lived in Santa Monica and every Saturday there's the, the gardener's market on main street. Well, if I was one of the bars right next to the gardener's market, one of the restaurants, maybe I want to do a geo filter that says 50% off all food and drink orders and you target the gardener's market. Right. And so there are, I think smaller use cases, but ultimately, um, it's, it's a way just to learn too, like what works, what doesn't, what are the results? I mean, I launched for our agency, a Coachella Snapchat filter. We had no expectations. We didn't know if it would work or if anyone would use it. And we ended up getting, I think 600 uses and almost 70,000 views from a 25, 25 bucks, 25 days. It ran because what we did, and this is another like it's interesting from a marketing perspective because snapchat didn't let us advertise or purchase the land of coachella all of those major events have exclusive rights where like coors is buying it or yeah. Bud Light, yeah. and so it enabled us the team to sit back and say like okay like where else would people that are at Coachella like want to use this filter? And it's like, oh, well, there are all these hotels around Coachella where they're at the pool party. And yeah. so it enables you to think like, okay, where are the people that I want to talk to? Uh, where do they like locate and, and kind of congregate? And then does my brand match up? And so I think like targeting associations or targeting like any meetups or the, you know, if you know that there's like a huge meetup where all of your customers are going to be there, like some conference in Florida, yeah, that's an opportunity to be like, why would anyone be going to some association conference if they weren't that type? You know, if you're looking for real estate agents, target the big real estate seminars. Yeah. And so I think that those are micro use cases that there's not a direct ROI just yet. But the concept of being able to purchase, like, you'll be the only one advertising. There will be no competitors. And so I think it's this concept of, like, getting on the platforms early before the competition is there. 
not necessarily to have direct ROI, but just to learn and say like, okay, like I know where this is going and I know kind of where we can position ourselves. Yeah, definitely. So it seems like such a low barrier to entry. It's like, it's $5. Snapchat's valued at a zillion dollars, the 18 billion, 16 billion, more than, more than 18. Billion. Yeah. At this, yep. at this point, it's, it's, so it seems like you'd have to sell a lot of $5 filters, but what do you think is the next, what's the next year for Snapchat look like? Like what's the thousand dollar option going to be on Snapchat? Cause right now it seems like they have a $5 option and a $500,000 option. So I like the honest answer is I don't really know because, and I'm saying this because Facebook or I'm sorry, Snapchat has been so impressive in being proactive about adding features that people like, like the concept of doing face swap or the concept of adding these different filters are actually acting as viral, uh, like viral loops. People want to use these features and then they want to share with their friends and yeah. sharing with your friends brings more people to the platform. So I think that like, one, you know, the one major thing of where they're going to be is like they need to really work on, you know, continuing to uh, build out their viral features. So I think that they're going to add the ability for companies like me to our companies like Coefficient Labs to create the animated our own filters. Right. That's not a geo filter per se, but it's like one of the face swap type filters. And maybe we pay ten dollars for that. Or yeah. um, so I think that there are small uh, gaps where you could do more filters. The other thing is, um, they're going to give advertisers more analytics, right? Mm -hmm. So I only want to target people that are at the, uh, at this location, but I only want males, right? Or I only yeah. want females. And so I think that as they get more data, as they get better, they're going to make the advertising tools more better. But as far as where are they going to make their money, I think that they're, and this, I talked about this in the article. What's interesting about Snapchat is they have a two, almost like a two pronged approach to their geo filters. One is for people like the agencies that are trying to advertise a brand. And the other is just everyday people like you and me that yeah. are like, oh, my best friend's bachelor party is next week. It would be awesome if we made a $20 filter that lasted the whole weekend. And yeah. so I think that as more people realize that for $5, you could make your own filter, mm -hmm. they'll start doing it. And at scale, that's, you know, millions of people, that's tens of millions of additional uh, ad revenue. Yeah. And it doesn't really even like start or begin with the concept of our parents' generations, the 45 to 70 year olds, they just don't believe in Snapchat yeah. yet. I mean, that's interesting because it's, it's, it's revenue that we're calling it from advertising, but it's not because if I make it for my, my party, I'm not advertising my party, right? It's like giving me a personalized way to share something, right? As opposed to traditionally Facebook is you have to be selling someone on something right. to pay them money. Yeah. It's a complete expression of individuality and it's, um, it's something that is right now like affordable. Why would I give my friend, you know, I could buy him a drink at the bar for his bachelor party or I could give him this cool thing that all of his photos now have this filter. And so yeah. I think that you're going to start seeing a lot more people running one or two day filters for no reason other than they just think it's cool. And yeah. that at scale, those mini transactions will be uh, amazing. But at the same time, we, the public just doesn't know, right? With Facebook, you're watching, everything's public. And so with Snapchat, why it's so interesting to me in, and I use this analogy of like the slow cooker is like, 
what are they thinking? You know, what yeah. is, what are they thinking? Because clearly you don't turn down a $3 billion offer unless you know that you're yeah, going to you plan. Exactly. And so um, the concept of launching geo filters and it being successful, like I literally made one for a friend's wedding three days ago. Yeah. It's 25 bucks, $30, you know, but on top of that, we also are doing it for our clients. And so your, the lifetime value is like, cause marketing people or agency people are also regular human beings. And, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. So then on the flip side, what do you see Facebook doing about it? Right. I mean, obviously they tried to buy Snapchat, didn't get it. So now they have to go after their own version of this type of advertising. Do we, do we have an idea of what their play is going to be? So right now, today, their play is the older demographic. Yeah. So 40 to 60-year-olds, my mom does not even know when she sees an ad. She has no idea that's an ad or a news feed. It's just to her sponsored content or, or just content in general. So I think today, they still have one, two, three more years to capitalize on this market. right? Yeah. And so I don't think that in the immediate term, they're worried even a little bit. I think that they're going to continue building out their targeting platform. And so like as the targeting gets better, whether it's on Instagram or Oculus or whatever they bring out in the next couple of years, yeah. they just – no one can top that targeting. And so as an advertiser, I just want an ROI. And so you know, I'm trying to find the platform that can help me find my person the best that I can deliver my message to. I think Instagram is still a couple – it's like – all of our all of our clients are still tippy toeing into Instagram, and then the real answer to your question is virtual reality. Hmm. Um, Facebook realized when Snapchat turned them down. You know, they tried I think a competitor called Poke, and they uh, are trying to acquire companies that are going after this younger demographic. But I I almost think that they've come to this realization that you know, that demographic is getting owned by companies like Snapchat and Musical.ly and they need to almost go like one more step out. And that's just like pushing virtual reality forward. Yeah. Uh, I believe at their last conference, they even launched a camera, um, which films in 360 and it just shows mm. you that, um, they are competing with companies like Canon and other GoPro and yeah. GoPro and they're doing it because like, you know, they're not in the trenches building the next like younger version of Snapchat. They're almost like kind of like hopping over that step and just saying like, what's, what's eight years out or yeah. what's in. And so I think that that's where their head is at. Interesting. So let's say I'm a uh, small brand, right? I'm, I'm listening to the podcast. You're talking about advertising on these different platforms. What do you recommend? I've been thinking about, let's say I've been thinking about getting into advertising on social, all these different platforms. Where do I start? Let's just say I'm, I'm either a good or service, right? Either local mom and pop and I just have um, some type of service you can come in and grab or I'm a brand that started. I have like leather goods or something like that. You know, where should I start in this world of advertising? So I would tell all of the readers that are, I'm sorry, the listeners that are listening right now to go to a website called Ad Espresso, A-D-E-S-P-R-E-S-S-O. Uh, I'm not affiliated or an investor with them, but uh, a website like Ad Espresso 
actually helps you A-B test your ads in real time. And so what that does is you can start with you know a $10 a day budget or a $20 a day budget. You can launch you know two, four ads at the exact same time. And a tool like AdEspresso will actually tell you uh, in real time which of those ads is performing the best. And so a lot of what our team does, you know, we talk about our internally as being day traders and that on any given day, certain channels perform better than other channels. And so uh, rather than just using Facebook, the defaults, which, you know, a lot of you are going into Facebook and you're trying it for the first time, you should go to Ad Espresso, set up a free account with them and use their tool uh, to help A-B test. And I think that one of the biggest problems that people have is actually taking the learnings and the data that you're getting from your advertisements and being able to uh, use it in a great way. And so Ad Espresso very simply will tell you, you know, what percentage of your clicks are from males versus females? What are the interest groups that um, led to the highest click-through rate? And uh, it just gives you a lot of optimization uh, ability. And so I would have them, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and starting from scratch, go and get yourself a tool that will actually help you. Yeah. And that's Facebook and Instagram? That's just Facebook? What do the, what's Ad Espresso? Facebook do? and Instagram. Awesome. So you'd say that's the best place to start no for doubt. any brand? If you're listening to this, your first step should be to get an Ad Espresso account and start testing with that. Awesome. Okay. And then at what point, let's say I'm a little bit further along in my business, at what point would I go to a company like Coefficient Labs and pass over my advertising efforts to you guys? So our agency uh, deals almost exclusively with Series A startups, companies that have raised $1 to $10 million or later stage companies that have raised money early, but are, you know, sustainable on their own efforts and are currently spending, you know, whether it's $1,000 a month all the way up to twenty dollars or $50,000 a month. Um, these are people that are looking to get their numbers better, right? They, they've had a baseline, maybe they've seen stagnant growth and they're interested in trying Facebook or Instagram, but they don't really know what to expect. Yeah, they so, need to go get an expert to do it. Exactly. Um, I think that what makes... Uh, coefficient labs unique to those types of uh, those types of brands is that uh, at the higher level really the more money you spend uh, it gives you more opportunities to test a lot of different ads and so for the reader that is maybe only a one person or a two person shop uh, you're really going to have to do a lot of the design work yourself or hire a freelancer uh, to help you but as soon as you get uh, to a bigger client where they're spending more money and they're willing to risk more, you're actually able to try a lot more uh, experiments. And so I think that we fit really well in the uh, company that is willing to spend on advertising, uh, you know, anywhere between 1000 and 20000 50000 a month. Awesome. This episode of Sessions is brought to you by PeopleMap. Uh, and if you are enjoying what Sean and I were talking about on the advertising side, this is as good as his tips on the analytics side. It's an Instagram analytics tool that allows you to dig into the engagement trends on your account. You can manage and monitor influencer campaigns. You can track stats every week, organize lists of key accounts for future reference. You can take control of all of your Instagram marketing and sign up for a free trial at peoplemap.co. 
Uh, and then one last question for you. I know, um, you know, working with your agency, one of the things we were talking about before this podcast was really issues that you and I have both seen with working with larger programmatic agencies, working with other ad buying agencies. And I thought you guys had come up with a great solution to that, which I think really makes you guys uh, an awesome option for people to go with. So can you talk a little bit about the issues that people normally run into with an ad agency and how you guys have worked around those? Absolutely. So I think while I was working at Creative Circle, as I had mentioned, we had a Facebook team, a PPC team for Google, an SEO team, and uh, all of these different agencies we're working with, we had three major problems with them. And so the first was that most traditional advertising agencies only do long-term contracts. So you have to commit to a 12-month or a 24-month contract when you're working with certain PR, certain media agencies. The second big problem that we saw was that very rarely did the actual media buying agency do the advertising designs in-house. And so oftentimes they're managing your advertising budget, but they're not actually creating the ads for you. And so you either have to hire your own advertiser or you need to do it in-house. And so um, those are uh, two major things that are problematic for uh, a brand that wants to work with a traditional agency. And I think the biggest problem was that most advertising agencies, most media buying agencies charge on a percentage of ad spend, meaning that um, whatever the brand is spending on advertising, the agency that's helping them manage that gets a percentage of it. And I always found that model to be uh, very problematic from the get-go because if you have a brand that's spending, let's say, $100,000 in Q4, but then drops their spend to $50,000 in Q1, then the advertising agencies have much less of an incentive to work hard. And so um, these three problems uh, at Coefficient Labs we've tried to combat by number one, we only do 90-day terms. And so what we found is that by starting uh, on a start date and having a 90-day strategy, that we can assign a goal to the end of that strategy and that it's very clear whether we hit the goal or we don't. So all of our agreements are 90 days. The second thing is we design all of our creative in-house. Um, so when you work with someone like Coefficient Labs, we're giving you anywhere between three and five new advertisements to test every single week. And then the last, uh, the last piece that makes us different is that we have a flat fee pricing model. And so our model is built on how many channels you want to advertise in. So if you want to advertise in Facebook, that's one. Facebook and Instagram would be two and so on and so forth. And so the way that we've positioned ourselves differently is that we look at each channel in a native strategy, building a 90-day plan around that channel, and we're using rapid design iteration throughout the week uh, to make our numbers better. And so 90-day uh, terms, all creative is done in-house, and having a flat fee model is the big difference that we uh, have at Coefficient Labs from some of our bigger uh, competitors in the agency world. Awesome. Okay, Sean, so two quick, fun, closing questions. If you could work in any other field, what would it be and why? I've thought about this a while, and I would be a teacher. Okay, of? Uh, 
That's a good question. Okay. I think <laughs> I think I think, I think right now I would be a teacher of entrepreneurship. Okay. I uh, I really am uh, motivated to see you know the eighteen to twenty two year old that just wants it more than anyone else, and uh, I would like to help uh, them move forward. Yeah, love it. All right, and so with this issue, we did a little bit of a word association. So I'm going to give you a word, and you just got to give me the first word that pops in your head when you think about it: technology. Virtual reality. All right. Take it. Awesome. Well, okay, Sean, to close it out, tell us where can we find you, social handles for you, for Coefficient Labs? You know, if we want to know more about you, where do we head? Totally. If you're interested in checking us out, looking at our case studies, um, talking about how we can help your team, you can go to coefficientlabs.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Coefficient Labs, on Instagram at Coefficient Labs. And uh, if you would like to follow me, Sean, the CEO, kind of a behind the scenes and uh, what it's like day to day growing an agency from the ground up, you can follow me on Snapchat at Sean Goldfadden. Snapchat plug. Love it. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for taking the time to listen. Sean, thank you for taking the time to come be on the show. Thanks, Micah. Um, again, my name is Micah Haycoop. I'm the Director of Strategy and Culture for Matt Black. You'll be hearing from me uh, every few episodes. Uh, you can come find us on at Shapeshift Report on Instagram uh, if you want to follow us on the day-to-day. Also, please check out the technology issue that just came out, shapeshiftreport.co. We love it. We just switched to an all-digital medium for the report as well you used to read it as a pdf now it's completely online super proud of it and we think the design's amazing so thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time